0: I love that video. I love the sound of that wind. My prayer in this series is that the spirit will move in your heart, will shape us, will teach us, will remind us, will encourage us, will inspire us, and that we will learn specially to be in tune with the Spirit and the work of the Spirit together. As we embark on this five-week series on the Spirit, I would suggest to you that the Spirit is of such great significance to us as the church and as individuals that the Spirit can quicken us to be all that God hopes that we would be in a way that surprises us. My prayer is the Spirit will surprise us in these weeks. Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willeman express the significance of the Spirit this way. Quote, Christians are people who dare to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That is, they dare to live lives out of control, coming to God dependent, empty handed, and live lives driven by and accountable to someone more interesting than ourselves. There's an idea in our world. Our world is led to believe that we are the most interesting thing or person in our world. How about this idea that the spirit is more interesting than ourselves? Let that thought linger with you. And so for this opening message of this series, Pastor Brad and I thought it would be wise for us to set the foundation of this series with an appreciation for a history of the Trinity. For the Spirit is located intimately with the other two persons of the Trinity. And we want to appreciate the meaning of the Trinity for us. And how the Trinity became to be understood in the church. How did we get to our current understanding of the Trinity? The word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. It's not there. And some people suggest that since the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible or is not explicitly taught in Scripture, some are to believe that the belief in the Trinity is not biblical. However, I would suggest to us that the question really is, does the teaching about the Trinity conform to what the Bible says about the triune God and the nature of God? The three texts that were read for us this morning, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, are just a very small sample of references to the three persons of the Trinity. Genesis 1 and 2 says, in the beginning, God, and it goes on to say, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness. So that gives us a sense of God and the Spirit of God. And in John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, we heard it read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and was with God in the beginning. And so we find God the Son represented as being present in the beginning. And you can find many references throughout the Old Testament and New Testament to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But those three passages are a thumbnail expression of how the doctrine of the Holy Spirit or of the Trinity is expressed in Scripture. The doctrine of the Trinity also expresses that the Father is not the Son or the Holy Spirit, that the Son is not the Father or the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but yet they are all and each God. Complex, yes. Mysterious, yes. Can I just say to us this morning, I want to say thanks be to God that there are some things about God which are mysterious to me. For it's easy to us, it is easy for us to fall into the trap of rationalism and say, well, if I can't figure it out, then it must not be true. But could I just suggest to us this morning that much of our life is lived in mystery? Think about this for a moment. How many of you have ever said to a child, why did you do that? Only to be met with a blank stare and a non-response. My wife said to me yesterday in our living room, sometimes I don't understand you. You're a mystery to me. And if I said to you, I understood everything about her, what would you think of me? There's much of our life that has mystery to it, so let's not let mystery and complexity detract us from embracing this idea of the Trinity. For quite honestly, I don't want God to be fully understood or comprehended by the human mind, because if that's possible, then God has become more like us. And quite frankly, I don't want God to be like any of you. (laughs) And you don't want God to be like me either. So thanks be to God for complexity and mystery. Think about this for a moment. I think that I think that the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity may be the most important doctrine in the church. Now the theologians among us may have just had the hair stand on the back of their neck. But think about this. Everything in the church hinges on the work of the Trinity. Everything, everything. And so it is central to us because the three persons of the Trinity individually and collectively bring the intentions and purposes of God into reality. So how did we get here? How did we get to our contemporary understanding of the Trinity? And so I invite you to take a look with me at church history. Throughout church history, councils and creeds became the means by which church practice and doctrine were clarified and consolidated. Councils were and from time to time still are formal meetings of church leaders and members that gather to resolve differences in theology and practice. The first council we know of is in Acts chapter 15, the council in Jerusalem. And you may remember that some of the events leading up to the council in Jerusalem, Pastor Brad referenced one a couple of weeks ago in his message when he talked about the vision of Peter. Peter was on the rooftop. And the LED screen came down in front of him. And the heavenly projector projected on that screen some images of unclean animals. And the voice of God, the Spirit of God said to Peter, take and eat. And Peter, repelled by the thought, said, I have never eaten anything unclean. And God said, Peter, what I call clean is clean. And immediately upon the disappearance of that LED screen, there's a knock at the door, and there are some Gentiles at the door, and they invite Peter to come with them and go to the home of a Roman centurion. And Peter goes, and he finds people of faith in Christ. And what is he to do with that? Except he's under new orders. there were those who went out from Jerusalem teaching that new believers, the Gentiles, had to be circumcised according to the Old Testament law. And that created real problems for a couple of evangelists by the name of Paul and Barnabas. And so they had dispute with them, and so they went up to Jerusalem to meet with Peter and James, with Judas, not Iscariot, and Silas, and some of the other apostles and other church leaders and they had this debate, they had this dialogue, they had this discourse and they had times of prayer and finally James made an appeal and said why should we burden the Gentiles with a yoke that we have not been able to bear ourselves and it was decided by the Council of Jerusalem in about A.D. 50 that Gentiles would not be required to be circumcised and so they sent a letter out And they sent Judas and Silas with Paul and Barnabas to the churches to communicate that new teaching. And then in AD 313, Constantine, the Roman emperor, whose wife had become a convert to Christianity, declared Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire. but there was a problem. Followers of Arius emphasized the uniqueness of the Father, believing that nothing could be as special as God, so the Son and Holy Spirit were not of the same substance as the Father. Therefore, there must have been a time when the Son and Spirit did not exist. So this rose up to become a great controversy among the believers, and so Constantine gave an order to the bishops and the leaders of the church and said, get together and sort this out. As Constantine understood, he couldn't keep the Roman Empire together if this controversy was to continue. And so as a result, in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea was convened and they developed the Nicene Creed which said, the Son and the Holy Spirit and God the Father are one and uniquely different, and yet all are God. So we're going to put on the screen the Nicene Creed, and I want us to read it in unison together, because it is the attempt of the church to say to the church, this is what we believe about the Trinity. Let's read it in unison. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit is worshiped and glorified. The Holy Spirit has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy university, and apostolic church, We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Thanks be to God for the wisdom of church leaders who gather and work these very difficult things out and what we just read. Nearly 1,700 years old. is still what we hold to be true today. And it is of particular importance to us in this series that we fully embrace the idea that the Holy Spirit is equally a part of the Trinity with God the Father and God the Son. Because we often talk about God the Father and God the Son, but sometimes we sort of minimize God the Holy Spirit. And yet, in our theological tradition, the Holy Spirit is very, very important to us in the Wesleyan tradition. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. But for those of us, myself included, who sometimes find the Trinity difficult to grasp or to embrace or to think about, let me suggest some ways for us to think of the Trinity. One way would be to think of the Trinity as story. God the Father has a story. The story of God the Father is of creation and of covenant. It is the story of God seeking relationship relentlessly in love with the people of creation. That God the Son is the story of Jesus, and the story of Bethlehem, and the story of Jerusalem. And the story of the Spirit is the story of Pentecost. Or perhaps we might think of the work of the Trinity, the works of God the Father as creator, the works of Jesus as sacrifice, the works of the Spirit illuminating the work of Christ. Or perhaps we might think of the Trinity in terms of the outcomes of the Trinity. God the Father always creating a people. Remember his call to Abraham, go, I will make you a father of a great people. Of the creation of Israel, bringing Israel out of Egypt and creating in the desert there a new community, a new nation, or the creation of the church, which became an extension, if you will, of the exodus out of Egypt. The outcome of the Trinity of God the Son, we see in Jesus the death and resurrection, and so we can proclaim and ask the question, where, O death, is thy sting? Because it no longer has a sting. Sting because now there is resurrection. or the outcome of the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit came at Pentecost, what takes place there? We find people being discipled, being converted, and we find the spread of the gospel and the expansion of the church. Or perhaps we might think of the Trinity functionally. God the Father is source of all life, God the Son as the physical presence of God as Redeemer. God the Spirit as the active presence of God. Or maybe we think of the Trinity as gift. God the Father as giver of life, of breath and creation. God the Son, Jesus, as giver of eternal life. God the Holy Spirit as giver of the present and the future. was teaching a class this past Wednesday night on the Spirit and talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in relationship to the future. And one person said, well, what about the present? That's a great question. And I've been thinking about the present all week. And, And here's What I came to, I had a brilliant moment this week. I know it's surprising. (laughs) But think about the present philosophically because once the present has occurred, it's now the past. What I just said is in the past, right? Pastor Darwin? But the Holy Spirit is the active presence of God in this moment and in the moments to come. God's gift to us. Each person of the triune Godhead has a distinctive story, a distinctive role, a distinctive set of works with distinctive outcomes, and yet they are collaborators with each other, always functioning in support of the other. Each person of the triune Godhead informs and collaborates with the other's in support of the mission and work of the other two. And to reiterate, let the work of the Spirit in us be more interesting than our own work. What does all this mean for us? Jesus in John 14, 23 said, if anyone loves me, they will keep my word and my Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. What does all this mean to us? We become home for the Trinity. The Trinity resides with us. In the coming weeks, we'll explore the different dimensions of the work of the Holy Spirit. And as the passage from John 16 was read this morning, it described and delineated a number of different roles of the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus. But for now, let's echo the words of Jesus in John 16:7. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. God the Holy Spirit is God's intention to be active and present among the followers of Christ. And in the weeks ahead, we will see the activity of the Spirit and the Spirit's impact upon the church universal, the church local, and in us. And I believe there's great promise for us in the weeks to come. For each person who is seeking Jesus for following Jesus, amen. This morning we come to receive the sacrament of the bread and the cup. And this morning as we prepare to receive these two expressions of the gift Of God the Son I would suggest to us that it is the Holy Spirit who takes this now and makes it possible for us to receive this gift but this gift then makes possible for us to become givers ourselves We don't simply receive the gift of the bread and the cup just for ourselves, but so we might become gift. And there are those in our world who would seek to receive the gift that you through the Spirit would give because you have received the bread and the cup.